Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 276, and today we are talking about books being released on September 8th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello! Hey, Lib, how are you? I'm okay! I had a very harrowing experience last night. My boyfriend was cooking next to me while I was cooking, and he got a jalapeno pepper from someone, uh, and he thought it would <laughs> Like be- on the street, or...? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, his friend gave it to him from his garden, and he thought it would be fun oh, okay. to, like... <laughs> that it would be like fun to cut it up and put it in with the meal that he was making because we often make separate meals because I eat vegan. And vegan, so that's right. he was like frying something on the stove and I was standing at the stove stirring something and he like tossed this pepper. And like a split second later, it was like I had a massive asthma attack because <gasps> he had no. like gassed me with these peppers. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So like I had to use my inhaler, which if you have asthma or have to use an inhaler for any reason, oh. you know is a drag because it's steroids, like to open your bronchial passageways. So you're just like, I didn't sleep last night. I watched the entire first season of Dear John, which is like a 1980s sitcom with Judd Hirsch, because that's where I was at last night. I was like, ah, what do I got to look at? So here I am, no sleep, and we're going to record a show. Woohoo! Woo! So if you've never heard that about hot peppers, apparently that's a thing that happens. You just described my childhood every time I walked into my abuela's house as a kid. Oh my it was goodness. Pretty bad. And it was like the major chiles, like not just jalapenos, but like the ones that will literally burn your retinas off. Yeah. There's a lot of coughing in my childhood. Neither one of us expected that. So, like, I mean, like, you know, he's like, oh, you know, once in a while, like, I get a little breath, but, like, nope. I had no nope. warning. <laughs> it was just like, ah. Jalapeno vapors. It's like, like some weird things that happen to you in your home. So, I go through all this, and then I'm felled by a piece of food, <laughs> you know? It's like, it happens. No, and I didn't even eat it. Oh, I know. <laughs> Well, hey, now we get to talk about books. Yes, I like books. They're exciting. Before we start talking about books, we are going to tell you about one of today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Revel Fiction and Double Take, the first book in a breathtaking new series from Lynette Eason. Detective James Cross has been honorably discharged from the Army Criminal Investigation Division due to wounds sustained. Meanwhile, physician assistant Lainey Jackson is going through some things. She's 18 months out from an attempted murder perpetrated by her ex, which ended when she managed to grab the weapon and shoot him. When he appears to have survived and is back to finish the job he started, Lainey insists it's not possible. But someone is trying to kill her and she does keep seeing his face. So Lainey and James must work together to find out who exactly is after her and why he wants her dead and failure is not an option. Pick up Double Take by Lynette Eason for tight and fast-paced writing. U.S. Today bestselling author Lynette Eason will leave you breathless with this new book 
It's the first in a brand new series. Thanks again to Revel Fiction and Double Take, the first book in a breathtaking new series from Lynette Eason for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by National Geographic Books. The Cave is the incredible memoir of Imani Balur, a young doctor and activist who ran an underground hospital in Damascus, humanizing the enduring crisis in Syria. The only woman to have ever run a wartime hospital in Syria, she saved many from the atrocities of war while having to face the patriarchal conservatism around her. Amani Balor is a game changer. Listen, she will be remembered as one of history's greatest. She's a passionately committed humanitarian, and she is determined to help others escape the horrors that she survived. Make sure to pick up the memoir, The Cave by Amani Balor and Rania Abuzaid for a memoir that expands on the 2019 Oscar nominated film by the same name, which documents her experience running the hospital, shielding children from horrific sarin attack, losing colleagues, trying to employ more women in the hospital, and eventually leaving and becoming a refugee. So make sure to read about this amazing woman. And thanks again to National Geographic Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay. My first pick is awesome. It got a lot of buzz when it sold. It got a major deal. It's a trilogy. It's called The Bone Shard Daughter by Andrea Stewart. This is the first book in the Drowning Empire trilogy. And like I said, there was a ton of hype when it sold and completely lived up to it. It's really fun. I want to point out this is an adult book. Like this is a fantasy novel for adults. There's often that confusion for some reason, we've discussed this on the show, like people think when women write, you know, a fantasy novel, it's automatically YA. This is not the case. This book is for adults and it's awesome. It's about this failing empire or like it's it's not failing, failing, but there's a lot of like rebellion brewing outside the walls of the palace. It's sort of set on this series of little islands. It's an amazing, amazing world building, all kinds of cool stuff going on. And the main character is Lynn. She is the emperor's daughter. She's 23 years old, and she is the heir to the kingdom. And her father is the emperor. He's been practicing bone shard magic, which is the only, he's like the only person that does it, except for her uh, brother, who has been practicing. But Lynn is all set to take over the throne, but she's having a problem remembering things. Several years ago, her father decided he wanted a son, and he... adopted her brother and brought him to the kingdom but he came from a different island where there was this illness that the people inside the palace were not familiar with and many of them became sick including lynn and in that time she lost her memory so for like the last five years she doesn't remember anything about her childhood she doesn't remember anything about her mother uh when her mother she knows that her mother passed away and when she passed away her father got rid of like every image of her everything that she had and she doesn't remember anything. And so her father has lost faith in her ability to run the palace because she doesn't remember anything. And so he decides that he's going to give the throne to her, her brother, Bayan. And Bayan has been working on his bone shard magic. They make these creatures that are called constructs. They're like these animals. Mostly her father makes like really scary ones out of like the scariest animals. Like they make them out of like different parts of scary things. And they use a bit of bone shard to to animate them. And they use them to guard the castle and to guard the royal family members. And Lynn decides that she's going to learn how to do bone shard magic in order to win her father's favor back and take over the empire. Also, her brother is like a total jerk and he has nothing but disdain for her. And she's just not in favor of him being in charge. So 
Now, outside the palace, there's tons of poverty and there's political unrest. And even within the walls, like even though she's not allowed to leave the palace, Lynn has heard the rumblings of, you know, there's going to be a revolution. And also the bone shard magic is like actual little pieces of bone that are inserted into things to animate them. Guess where those little bone shards come from? They come from the citizens of the empire. Like, the the emperor decides that, you know, this is their payment in order to live where they do. Like, this is, you know, what they have to, to offer up in order for protection and for him to take care of them. But, like, he doesn't do a very good job. Like, the citizens of the, of the empire are actually, like, giving up. They each have, like, a little piece of bone removed from their body. And so they're not super psyched about that, as you can imagine. Uh, and so she learns about this, and now Lynn has to decide, uh, as she learns more about the outside world and the revolution grows, does she want to save her family and her family's legacy and the empire, or does she want to save the people? And on top of this story, there's also the story of Jovis, who is a smuggler looking for his lost love. Seven years ago, his girlfriend disappeared without a trace, but like certain clues were left behind and he's been looking for her. And then he hears of a new disappearance where the exact same thing happened. The same things were left behind. The same boat was spotted in the harbor. And so he goes on a journey to find out what happened because he's like really close to the trail again now. And he's joined by a magical fox. It's pretty cool. And then there are also several smaller characters that we get their point of view. I think it's just Jovis and Lynn who are told from first person, and then the other characters are told from the third person. But, you know, they have a lot of important parts where we sort of, like, further the story and the descriptions in this empire of, like, class disparity, poverty, rebellion, and the villainy of the empire. This book has, you know, warfare, it has, you know, fighting, uh, violence, gore, and it's, but it's, it's so fantastic. It's magical, it's queer, it's feminist, it's a fantastic fantasy novel, I can't wait for the next one, and it is called The Bone Shard Daughter by Andrea Stewart. I want to read that one. It's really good. I will. I will at some point. When? I don't know. Someday. All right, so my first pick is Lupe Wong Won't Dance by Donna Barbara Higuera, which is a work of contemporary middle grade. And it was so sweet. I loved this book. Maybe sweet isn't even the right word to describe it. It's, it's really fun, but I yes, I like it. It's sweet. <laughs> so it's about a seventh grader whose name is Guadalupe Wong. She goes by Lupe. And she is, and now that I'm actually looking at this word, I, I've been pronouncing it as Chinacan in my head. It's probably Chinacan because she's Chinese and Mexican. And she's the star pitcher for her school's baseball team. And she has a goal this year. And that goal is that she's going to get straight A's because she struck a deal with her uncle that if she can get straight A's, he's going to hook her up and introduce her to her favorite player on the Seattle Mariners, whose name I think is like Fuli Hernandez. He's supposed to be like the first Asian Latino pitcher in the major league. So, you know, he's her role model and she's just like super, super stoked. So she's like, okay, this is going to be fine. Like, she's doing good in the rest of her classes. This is great. And then a major wrench gets thrown in her plans because here she is thinking that PE is going to be, like, the easiest of the A's. She's great at sports. This is going to be great. But her teacher has decided to make square dancing, like, the activity, do you know, semester or what have you. And she's like, no, I don't dance. No bailo. Like, what is this? And so she goes on this big, like, mission to (laughs) basically eradicate square dancing from school. Which sounds sort of as a, you know, a simple enough premise, but it's really 
great to see the mix of cultures in this character and for her to be, you know, a sports player. And the, the book itself is written from like a really funny point of view and her two best friends are adorable. This is where it really gets into it's it's a really great portrayal of how big like friendship issues feel when you're I mean, they, I guess they feel big to me as a 35 year old, too. But definitely in middle grade, how the front, you know, the fights you have with your friends or when your friends start to have other friends, like how big and huge and sometimes terrible that feels in your, you know, like, young kid world. One of her besties, she has like a big fight with him. And then the other who is actually on the spectrum has it's just like finding that they're making like friends with other kids. And so all of this is just adding to what feels like a very, you know, stressful year and what she thought was going to be, you know, Lupe thought was going to be just sort of easy peasy and able, like, she's like, yeah, I got this. Like, she <laughs> she really did think that that plan was going to go quite swimmingly and then it, you know, doesn't so much. I, you know, I've, I inadvertently actually, I think, picked several books that have Latinx representation in them just because, like, I always go on about how nice it is to finally see that in books where like the cultural aspect is a thing but not like the whole thing that the book is you know built around so this is a book that i cannot wait to put in the hands of some of my younger like extended nieces and nephews as i like to call them because that's what mexicans do so anyway it's called uh, lupe wong won't dance by donna barbara Higuera. okay my next pick is world of wonders in praise of fireflies whale sharks and other astonishments by amy nizuku matatil and it is incredible. Incredible. I had heard whispers of how amazing this book was a long time ago, and it's just so beautiful. She is a poet. I have not read any of her poetry, but this is an unbelievably beautiful memoir slash science book slash nature observations. It's in, told in like little chapters, each pertaining to a creature or a plant or a weather pattern and how her life experiences sort of pertain to these. I mean, it's just, it's breathtaking. She talks about when she was a young girl, she's Asian American, and she grew up in Kansas, and they were the only family that were not white in her area, and so she experienced a lot of racism, and she talks about what that feels like. Uh, And in between that, she's talking about the trees and how much she loves the trees as she's walking to see her mother, uh, who works at... a hospital for the criminally insane. Uh, so she's like telling these stories about walking along these trees next to like three layers of barbed wire fence and she's not allowed to like stray off the path and she's just a young girl and there's these beautiful trees over them. She talks about they're going on vacations. It's her and her sister and her mother and father and how, you know, her mother needed a break from this hospital and they would go on vacation and look at the fireflies, especially in these parts of the country where like tons of them gather each year. And, like, how relaxing it was to see these fireflies. And she's just such an incredible writer. Like, she's talking about, like, how her dad likes to drive at night instead of during the day to avoid the traffic. And how she would like to be back in that car even today. Like, sort of being lulled by the the car and thinking about the fireflies. Uh, She talks about indigo buntings, which I got so excited about because I myself experienced an indigo bunting. We had one in our yard uh, several months ago. It is the bluest, brightest bird I have ever seen. And it was just, I think about it all the time still. And in this book, she mentions them and talks about like how she still thinks about them. And I'm like, yes, once you see one, it's just like you can't get that color blue out of your head. It's incredible. She talks about the time that uh, the teacher, when she was young and she was living in Iowa, the teacher assigned them an art project where you were supposed to draw an animal. And she was really into the peacock because the peacock is a national bird of India. And she wanted to draw a peacock. So she turned in 
this drawing of a peacock, and her teacher made her do it over because she said that she was in America and they only drew American animals and she had to do it again. And it's just like, oh, it's just so infuriating. And you want to go back and shake that woman. And she talks about like animals' defense mechanisms and ways of hiding and plants and, you know, defense mechanisms that, and how like, they apply to her own life and the life of humans. She talks about narwhals, which some people still don't believe are real, but they are. The axolotl, which is that little pink salamander that looks like it's smiling all the time. It has like the crazy pink fringes on its head. I love them. I have a t-shirt that has one on it that says, you axolotl questions, which is ridiculous. But it's actually a kind of salamander. She talks about the vampire squid, the corpse flower, which is that flower that only blooms every once in a while. I think they have one in the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens. And it smells like the worst smell you've ever smelled. And people line up for days to like smell it. It talks about whale sharks, birds, and you know how nature, how like we relate nature to our memories. And it's just astonishing. If you like Terry Tempest Williams, if you like Robin Wall Kimmerer, it's just incredible. And she does her own illustrations. She, there are these delightful illustrations throughout the book, and she did them herself. And I'm learning to slow down. I know you're like, Liberty, you're talking so fast, and you're saying you're slowing down. I know. But I'm trying to learn to like slow it down in my life. And I read these, like they're little tiny, you know, couple page chapters. I read a few at a time instead of like flying through the whole book because I was actually just taking them in and thinking about them because they're so beautiful. And the author, K.S.A. Lehman, said, this book is about to shake the earth, and he was not wrong. It's so, so great. It's World of Wonders in Praise of Fireflies, Whale Sharks, and Other Astonishments by Amy Nazukuma Tatil. Now I want to read another book, and I really need to see that t-shirt. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's so funny. You probably just Google it. a nice little chuckle about it, yeah. They're <laughs> so cute. They're, they, they're just the cutest. Yeah. They look very happy yeah. and sweet. Okay, I will tell us about, or tell us, I will tell you about my next favorite. I love this book so much. And that is Prime Deceptions by Valerie Valdez. This is science fiction. It is book two in the Chilling Effect series, the first of which was called Chilling Effect. And if you haven't read that one, I, you should go in order. And there is a teeny bit of a spoiler as I discussed the second book, so just be advised of that. So in Chilling Effect is when we first met Captain Eva Inocente. She is a Cuban-descended captain of this spaceship called La Sirena Negra, which means the Black Mermaid. And it's Motley, Motley crew. <laughs> that crew includes a whole bunch of psychic kittens. Space, psychic space cats, and they are probably my favorite part of these books. In addition to Eva herself, who is just so surly and extremely sweary, you will learn many, many, many Spanish curse words. It was just so fun to read that on the page. The book is a very, like, rompy, heisty space adventure that follows Eva and the Sirena Negra. They're on a mission to hopefully get back her sister, Mari, who has been kidnapped by this, like, secret organization called The Fridge. And they're called the fridge because they have a habit of holding people hostage in cryostasis. So that's not fun. So on the way there, they confront just a whole like bounty hunters and space pirates. It's just, again, like this total fun adventure. And in Prime Deceptions, this is where a little bit of a spoiler comes in. The sister is a main character, so they got her back. <laughs> and so in this book, we find out that Eva is, she basically is enlisted for help by Mari, her sister, that was a weird way to say that, but uh, Mari asks Eva for help in locating a missing and like very revered loved scientist. 
Eva's like, eh, because there's some trust issues between them. But there's this promise of a pretty fat paycheck. And of course, it's like a noble cause. And for all of that, Eva's like, ugh, begrudgingly, like, fine, I guess I'll help you. And then uh, she finds out, so like, her estranged mother is going to come along and help. There's feelings about that. And then there's just, again, adventure times. Like, so much fun, rumpy stuff. Lots more swearing. The psychic cats are awesome. But the part that really throws Eva off is that she did not know and is now realizing that they're going to be heading to the site of like Eva's most shameful and haunting like career failure where a lot of people died. And so she's not feeling so great about that. These books are just so fun. And to keep on layering what I said a little bit in my first pick, it's just really cool to finally, again, get to see someone who comes from the same types of culture that you do. I'm, you know, Mexican, but seeing like a Cuban, these people are, I believe all uh, on the Cita de Negra, like Cuban descended. And to see that like, hey, issue books are great, but sometimes we just want to be like that sweary captain in space with psychic cats, like just like any other character might be. So it's just, ah, and again, the Spanish, which is all, I believe, non-italicized. So it just sort of flows. It's really great. It's just so much fun, and I loved the second book every bit as much as I loved the first. So definitely start with the first one, then come back to this. Again, that's Prime Deceptions by Valerie Valdez. Psychic kittens! I love them. She calls them Gomen, word I can't say, but it's so great! <laughs> I love her. <laughs> I can't remember if I recommended it the first time or if the other host did, but it's fun. So my next pick is something completely different. It is The Baddest Bitch in the Room, a memoir by Sophia Chang. I admit to having never heard of, of Sophia Chang before this book arrived, but the cover is so striking. It's, it's just like her sitting in a chair, like looking like super fierce and amazing. And I was like, I need to read this book. And Sophia Chang is the first Asian woman working in hip hop. Like she became a rep and she started working with the Wu-Tang Clan and a tribe called Quest and her career took off. And strangely enough, while I'm thinking of it, this book also recommended by KSA Layman. Apparently that's my theme this week is I'm just going to read books recommended by him. It's a memoir about when she was young and about her family. Her family came from Korea. When the North and South were split, her mother escaped with her sister and she never saw the rest of her family. Again, while her father was enrolled in a mostly Japanese school. This is like when Japan annexed Korea. Most of the students in his school were Japanese, but he spoke flawless Japanese, so he was able to attend, but he was beaten by his teacher like all the time because he was Korean. I mean, it's just really awful, terrible stuff. And he suffered through that because he wanted to get an education. And he's a genius. Like he was a professor there and then he became a professor. He moved to the to the States and then they went to Canada. And it's just like the story of the hardship that they experienced is just incredible. Uh, and she has a brother who was born in Korea, but she herself was born in the States no, or in Canada. I can't remember now where she was born, but they traveled a lot then. Um, and she discusses, like, her feeling of otherness and the racism that she experienced as a child growing up in, you know, the States and in Vancouver, um, and how she began to pull away from her heritage, how she didn't want to learn Korean, how she wanted cheeseburgers for dinner, like the kids that she saw on the Brady Bunch and on, you know, the Partridge family, and how she sort of embraced white culture and how that you know, affected her when she got older, like she couldn't speak Korean and, you know, it, it sort of distanced her from her family. 
She also talks about how she started using her words to tell off police. Like, there's a, a great story where, you know, this kid rolls up on his bike. She's, like, nine and starts, like, picking on her. And she tells him off. And he actually goes away. And she realized, like, this is my strength. Like, I, I can fight back with this. And talk, she talks about how, like, she grew that strength. And, you know, adopted this attitude and this healthy ego and, like, brought it to her work. And so she ends up moving to New York City and she becomes a rep for a and she meets the Wu-Tang Clan and that's when everything takes off for her. She ends up meeting a Shaolin monk who becomes her husband. She's just had, like, the most fascinating life. And these are, like, stories from behind closed doors, you know, where she was a woman in what is normally considered a men's world, you know, like a men's career. It's so hard for women to get their foot in the door. But also, like, a marginalized woman and how she has to work to prove herself, you know, not just at her work, but as a mother and as a wife. It's wildly fascinating. And, you know, she's she's so funny and she's so strong. It's just it's so interesting. And I will also say that there are two audio versions of this because there is the more kid friendly one. And then there is the uncensored one because she has. Quite a mouth on her. She's very frank and she's very honest. Is that the same word? It's probably the same word, but she's hilarious. Anyway, it's called The Baddest Bitch in the Room, a memoir by Sophia Chang, and it rocks. And now we're going to hear from our next sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Okay, Vanessa. My turn. I'm just going to fully disclose that every time I talk about this book, I rant. It was really the right word. And I'm going to try to keep it more succinct because I love it so much. It actually came out last week on the first, but since it wasn't talked about, I ended up swooping it up. It is Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas. So this book it's, I mean, technically, it's just, I guess, a YA fantasy, but really, it is a queer Latinx paranormal romantic work of YA fantasy. There's like so many, like, check, 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 like things I want to read. <laughs> the main character is named Yadriel. He comes from a family of brujex. So, normally, the Spanish word for which is either bruja or brujo. It's Spanish language is gendered. And so, they just, refer, or he anyway, refers to them as brujex. He's Cuban and Mexican, and he is he comes from a family of Brujex, so like the family they like his particular family anyway, they live in and guard essentially this cemetery in East LA. So they communicate with spirits, they, you know, kind of keep the spirits in line, make sure that because like when a person passes, they don't immediately go off into like the other side. They will often linger, and that's fine, but like the longer you linger, the more you lose pieces of yourself. So like their family 
dedicates themselves, as do like Bruhex in general, to making sure that the spirits do eventually like cross over, that they're like untethered and can go off and live in the afterlife like peacefully. And in the culture, young men and women go through a quinces ritual. So, you know, a lot of Latinx countries, Latin American countries anyway, we go through like a quinceanera type of thing when we turn 15, which is sort of our version of a sweet 16, but it's usually just for the women. So in this version of it, both men and women go through this. And for them, it's basically the ritual into which they like step into their power and officially become, you know, brujex. The men become like the spirit summoners, essentially. And then women become healers through this offering that they do to Lady Death, known as Santa Muerte in Spanish. They have like a portal that is specific to each of them, a cola portaje. So for the men, it's usually like some kind of decorative dagger. For the women, it's... uh something they wear around their necks that contains chicken blood. <laughs> so anyway, that's what's supposed to have happened. However, Yadriel is a trans boy. And when he came out to his family, as you might, you know, yes, it's a traditional like Latin American family. It did not go very well. His, his mother, thankfully, embraced him immediately, as did his cousin, who's his best friend, Maritza. But his you know, mother may have been super sweet and loving, but she actually passed away a couple years ago. And so the rest of his family is like sort of reluctantly accepted it, but only on the surface, really, they keep, you know, they'll still eventually sometimes use his dead name or, you know, refer to him with the wrong pronouns. And it's especially difficult with like the older generations. And he's trying to be understanding, but of course it cuts at him deeply. So he decides when he is left out of that ritual, like he's not allowed to partake in it because he wants to do it obviously as a boy, as a you know man. And they're like, nah, you can't, you're a woman. So he decides he's going to take, you know, powers or uh, matters into his own hands him and Maritza devise this plan in which they're going to go to the cemetery at night, break into this church, and they're going to perform the ritual, you know, the offering, the blood, all this stuff to prove that he is indeed a brujo. And, you know, in his mind, he's like, then my family will have to accept me because if the ritual is successful, that like proves I'm a boy, like I am the gender that I say that I am, and then everything will be fine. So they do it. And immediately, like, it's successful, but as soon as he comes into his powers, he feels, and so does Maritza, this awful, awful pain in his chest. And that's a bad sign because when brujets, brujex feel that, what they're actually feeling is somebody passing. And the more painful it is, the more like painfully that person died. So, you know, they rush home and they essentially find that, yeah, his their cousin, Miguel, is killed and no one can find like his spirit. And that's... Essentially, when like, things go roll sideways because he wants to, you know, Yadriel wants to help, his family doesn't want him to help in the, like, they basically are like, you stay here with all the women. And of course, that, you know, sets off a huge family argument. He's upset. So he and Maritza once again, like, kind of go off on their own. They're like, screw everybody else. Like, we're going to go look for him because we want to get our cousin back and help. And maybe then they'll take me seriously once I've been able to help Miguel's spirit crossover. And through a circumstance or interesting little set of circumstances, they end up in an abandoned church and Yadriel ends up summoning a spirit, but that spirit is not Miguel. It's a boy named Julian, who is, you know, A, just not his cousin, <laughs> B, refuses to leave until he, like, finishes some business of his own, and then C is, like, kind of maybe sort of dreamy, <laughs> and this just makes everything all the more confusing for Yadriel. So in case you can't tell, I'm just so obsessed with this book. I don't think I've ever read anything. The closest I can think of is maybe like the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Brujas series by Soraya Cordova that really dives this beautifully into a lot of that Day of the Dead culture. I'm sure there are other books, but there's just not as many of them. 
And not one that was so delightfully, like, queer and just, oh, the descriptions of all the rituals down from the stuff that they do to the actual, like, Dia de los Muertos ceremony and how important it is to be able to, like, see the people that have passed for just those few days every year. Reminds me of, yeah, like, the actual, literal Dia de los Muertos traditions that, like, my family and lots of other families do. In case you've never seen it, I have a giant tattoo (laughs) of a sugar skull and Mexican marigolds on my arm because I love just the beauty surrounding those cultures. So it was really cool to see it in this, yeah, like fantasy, paranormal romance. Like the their relationship is so sweet and tender and Julian is like immediately accepting when he's like, hey, I'm trans and there's no big deal about it, which is, you know, so beautiful for us as readers and for Gabriel to experience. And Maritza is just the most like kick-ass bestie you could have. She's down for the cause <laughs> almost at all times. And is also vegan. So she actually refuses to be a healer because she's like, I'm not down with that chicken blood stuff. So yeah, it's just so fun. It's so, so, so great. I hope you will go out and pick this one up because it was just uh, like the read I needed to kind of snap me out of a little bit of a slump. That is Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas. Well, speaking of vegans, I thought I would do something (laughs) fun and light for my last pick today. Uh, Last week I did Fangs, which was fun and light. And oh my goodness, so many of you ran out and grabbed that book and told me about how much you loved it. I'm talking about you, Kendra. And I, I loved hearing from all of you. It is the cutest little book. And this week, this is fun and light, but it's about food. It's called Vegan Cooking, Recipes, Stories Behind the Recipes, and Inspiration for Vegan Chefing. It's by $2 Radio, the publisher, and Jean-Claude Van Randy and Speed Dog, who are celebrity chefs. I eat vegan. I've mentioned it a couple times. I, I don't, you know, point it out all the time. And I also like to say that I eat vegan because if you don't know uh, there are people take the definition of vegan differently Uh, some people believe like if you're a vegan you don't eat at restaurants that serve animal products or you don't eat off plates that have had animal products on them you don't have pets I mean I'm just I just eat vegan I have now for seven years I've been a vegetarian since I was eight uh, but I switched over to eating vegan uh, seven years ago and I don't know if you've ever seen the comedian Julio Torres. He is just the most adorable, adorable human on the oh my planet. God. And yes. he's he's vegan. And the first time I saw him, he was talking about being vegan. And he's like, people are like, Julio, do you miss meat or dairy? And I say, I miss being liked. I don't <laughs> I don't miss cheese, but I do miss getting asked to do things. And it's just so funny. Because like veganism is much more prevalent and much more accepted than it used to be, but it's still, people are like, uh, I, you know, in my experience, people f- are more stressed out about me being vegan than I am. You know, I'm always like, don't worry about me, but other people are like, ah, I gotta, f-, you know, and it's very kind, but, and it took me a long time. Like, I finally have hit a stride, but, you know, for a while I was like, ugh, a lot of this stuff looks gross and it sounds gross and I wouldn't eat tofu when I was younger, so that was a problem. And now I have all these amazing things that I eat every day. And even my boyfriend is, like, the biggest carnivore, and he eats them, too. He's like, these are actually delicious, you know, like the Beyond Meat stuff, and it's great. And so this is a little kick-ass indie pub cookbook. The $2 Radio is an amazing publisher. I've talked about their books on here before they publish fiction and nonfiction. This is their first cookbook, and they just talk about wild and awesome recipes. Like, they talk about making cheese, which I'm very—I haven't made any of these yet, but I'm very interested because the one thing that's still— like catches me every time is vegan cheese is gross talk about it's it gross. <laughs> like i've tried different kinds and i still am like mm-mm, mm-mm. and they have several different recipes in this book to make cheese that actually sound good so i'm looking forward to that and then they talk about making fake chicken wings 
vegan tater tots, loaded breakfast tortugas, breakfast tacos. They have, some of the recipes have crazy names like uh, the second pair of black jeans eggplant po'boy. And they have like the d- dinner options, like classy Italian casserole. And they also talk like in between these, they have like stories about how they met, how they almost met, um, you know, like silly things. It's it's just really funky and fun. It's almost like a zine, but it's a cookbook. Uh, and they also discuss like how they are aware that eating healthy is cost prohibitive. That's why so many people, you know, don't eat healthy. Like it's simply because it's so expensive, you know, like. The stuff that I eat costs two, three, four times more than the stuff that my boyfriend gets, you know, because healthy food costs a lot. And so they are aware that, like, a lot of vegan options are cost prohibitive. So they designed these recipes with, like, the cheapest, easiest ingredients in mind, things that you might have around the house or don't cost a lot of money to get. And it's just really fun. So that is Vegan Cooking. From $2 Radio, Jean-Claude Van Randy and Speed Dog. I have come to love a lot of vegan food. One of my favorite restaurants in San Diego is called Kindred, and they're this like awesome goth bar that serves <laughs> vegan food. It's the, it's fantastic. It's always on like lists of best restaurants in the United States. But um That's cool. Yeah, the cheese is one of those few things. Not necessarily at Kindred, I don't even know if I've had it there, but like when I've had it in other dishes that I take a bite, I'm like uh-huh. Okay. No. I'm like, where can I spit this into a napkin? Yeah. Like, and I love cheese, <laughs> so that's hard. My friend has a cheese party every year. Not that she did this year. No one went anywhere, but <laughs> she has a cheese party every year. And she's like, you know, bring your favorite kind of cheese. And people who bring vegan cheese will not be allowed in the house. <laughs> like, she's like, no vegan cheese. And, you know, Nothing and else. like everything else, you know, like every year we have more options as vegans to eat. Oh, for sure. And I'm sure that they're eventually going to get there. You know, like, I've been eating, like, lousy, you know, veggie burgers for Mm -hmm. decades. And suddenly Beyond Meat came along and made these veggie burgers that, like, I sent it back the first time I got one because I was like, this is definitely meat. And they were like, no, it's not. So (laughs) that was so awesome. Not that I wanted to taste like meat, but, like, it was delicious, you know? So yeah, it's going to be awesome. We've come a long way, that's for sure. All right, I'm going to wrap it up with my last pick, which is One by One by Ruth Ware. And I loved this book. It might be my favorite Ruth Ware now. So if you've never read Ruth Ware, she is the author of books like The Woman in Cabin 10, The Death of Mrs. Westaway in A Dark, Dark Wood. And she is very often comped to Agatha Christie, like referred to as the modern Agatha Christie. My one quibble with that is that a lot of her books to me are less about the mystery itself. Sometimes they are whodunits, but sometimes I think you're, you're going to figure it out. But what she, I think, is a master at is creating suspense. Like she really does, she writes like tightly, like this book, the whole last like quarter of it, I had my shoulders like up on my ears. So I was just like, oh my God, like so, oh, this is so uncomfortable. And I love that feeling and I haven't had it in a while. So it was great. So this book takes place at a chalet in the Alps in France where this like comically <laughs> described uh, like startup company is having a retreat. And comically, when I describe what I mean, you'll see it's like one of the first pages in the book. It's supposed to be ripped from like their website where they describe like everybody's job duties and none of the descriptions are like your average. It doesn't say like CEO or whatever. It's very like hipster, <laughs> ridiculous. Like it's, it's a, like just a satire of itself. But this team is ostensibly just going for, you know, a retreat and in this beautiful, gorgeous chalet in the French Alps. So it's going to be a great time. 
It's told from two different perspectives. One, and I'm totally blanking on the names, but it's a woman who works at the chalet. Like she live in, she's she's part of the quote unquote, I don't know, use the word help, but like she, yeah, she organizes like the stay for everybody. She helps with serving the meals, cleaning all that stuff. You know, she, she does all the like general upkeep, does housekeeping type of stuff. And then the other person that lives on the property with her is the cook. So it's them two. And they, you know, their job is essentially to be there when clients show up to, you know, help them with whatever it is they need. You know, that party leaves, they clean and like prep the place, get to live in it for a little while by themselves, turn it around and get it ready for like the next party. So again, the story is told from the perspective of that woman. And then another woman who we know is part of the retreat group. And you learn pretty early on that she no longer works for the company. So you immediately kind of have questions as to like, why are you here? And she just sounds stressed out. And she makes this comment in like the very first couple pages. It's like, I don't want to be here, but like I can't afford not to be. So as the, you know, book kind of unfurls, we find out that it's not just some retreat. There's actually a bit of an ambush by the CEO or like the founder. There's there's two co-founders. They're now divorced, but they're allegedly still like BFFs, except that there's a bit of a coup at one point where I think Eva is her name, the one of the co-founders. She creates this big PowerPoint that the, you know, her co-founder ex-husband didn't know was coming or and she makes a case to sell the company. And he's all kinds of mad because he doesn't want to sell. He wants to like keep going and like build and like, you know, make the company bigger. Whereas his ex-wife and a couple people that she has on her side are like, we need to sell. Like the, the company, by the way, is this like super creepy, I think, app where literally all you do is spy. It's called Snoop, I think, on other people's music. So, you know, celebrities are on this thing. Regular people are on this thing. And what you do is go on there and it's like a little bit like Spotify and that you just go on and play music. You can play your own music if you want, but you can also spy on like what other people are listening to, which to me at first is like, oh, whatever. But of course, you know, we live in the era where people are a little bit obsessed with celebrity culture and the voyeurism factor. So folks love to get on there and like know that they're listening to the same song that Beyonce is listening to or whatever. And they're like, you know, we need to sell this now and like get the money. And if they do that, because a long time ago, you know, investments were made, certain people stand to make a killing off of the sale. And then, you know, things happen. People start dying. <laughs> so, and that's, you know, it's like locked room. It's super cold. It's definitely, you know, we, we often get requests from people to want to read books that like give you that cold feeling. This is one of those books. There, There's a lot of skiing, skiing, pardon me, involved with the book. The skiing is actually how like we first figure out that something is awry. They it's, are in the middle of this terrible upcoming storm. Like they know it's going to hit any minute and they are in avalanche country. So like that might potentially be a problem. You will have to read and see. But from that point on where like the murders start happening <laughs> and at the end of it, you'll probably guess who it was. Like, that's not a thing that I'm necessarily bothered by. What I want in a book is for it to feel like I, like I want to keep turning the pages. And this book literally kept me like glued. Like I just sucked it down in like a day. And again, that end, you, you already like at the point it gets revealed, like you know what it is. And there's still this like chunk of the book left. And that whole time you're just like, oh, no, like, don't, don't close your eyes. Don't look away. It's so much fun. So I, I had a lot of great, good time with this book. I'm gonna shut up now, but go get it. <laughs> it's one by one by Ruth Ware. That's on my list of things to read this weekend. I'm looking oh, it's so fun! That. Although I think that's gonna be awesome. But I have I have twist burnout. I'm tired of books that are trying so hard to like have some wild twist in them. You know, yep. like 
no, they were dead the whole time, or no, the killer was really 12 squirrels in a trench coat. Although, wait, I take it back, I would read that one. <laughs> you would <but> love that. <laughs> like, I'm just really tired of, like, uh, especially because it seems like more books are trying for those twists where you would never in a million years guess that this was going to happen. It has nothing to do with anything that's going on in the book. It's going on. That's, I think, why you might like this one, because it is, like, almost frustratingly simple of a solution. I like I like her books in general, so I'm looking forward yeah, to this. It's, it's a lot of fun. But I have had, like, a bit of mystery burnout. Like, I just mm-hmm. want a good old-fashioned detective story yeah. beginning to end. Like, no, like, oh, everyone was really a magical unicorn. You know, like, yep. stuff like that. So, I don't know. Totally. No, that's where I was, so I get that. <laughs> so, those are our new picks. What are you going to read next? I think I'm going to read the last book in the Wayward Witch series. Or not, sorry, the book is called Wayward Witch. It's the Brooklyn Bruja series. That came out last week, too. So I think I'm going to do that this weekend. Nice. I am reading One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. Like, hey, hey, Galley <gasps> Bragg. I forgot about that. Yeah, yes. It just hit Edelweiss oh. this week. And Casey McQuiston is the author of Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is amazing. And this one comes out... Oh, I don't think it's till next summer. I'm very sorry. Next summer, right? Yeah. yeah. But I would like to take one more moment of your time because I read what I think is already my favorite book of 2021. It is called In the Quick by Kate Hope Day. I talked about her first novel when it came out, I think, last year. This book is amazing. It's called In the Quick. And I don't like saying this and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but I don't think that the publisher description of this book is accurate, and I think it does it a disservice. Hmm. This is an incredible book about a brilliant young girl. It's in the future. Her uncle is a famous, famous scientist, and it's like people have been going to space for a long time, and you know, there's like a, like a boarding school space camp. Like Everybody goes to space now, and she's 12, and her uncle dies, and... Her aunt doesn't know what to do with her, so she sends her off to this space school, which is actually named after her uncle. And she's only twelve. Like the the recruits are usually twelve, or excuse me, usually fourteen or fifteen. But because she's brilliant and her uncle is, you know, was part of the school, she gets to go. And she learns all about like all about the politics of of going to space. But she gets to work close with like some of her uncle's old team members. And then it jumps ahead to when she's actually in space. And it's such an incredible story. Like, there's a story of, like, a missing spaceship. And when she's 12, she realizes, like, she thinks the people on this spacecraft are still alive. Like, this went, this spaceship went into orbit and they lost contact and they think they're all gone. And she's figured out that they're still alive, but nobody listened to her because she's a 12-year-old girl. And when she gets older, she's still telling people, like, I think the people on this spaceship are still alive. And they're like, nah, nah, nah. But she gets to have her own adventures and... It was so amazing. Just so amazing. Like, it's very low intensity, even the action, and and there's not, like, a lot of overwrought emotion, which I think really added to the story. I thought it was beautiful. I could talk about it forever. So I want you to write it down right now, in the quick, by Kate Hope Day, and... Do yourself a favor and just don't read the... Don't read the description. Because the, the <laughs> dis- I'm, like, not even kidding. The things that they're describing in the book description... Don't even take place until about 70% of the way into the book. Ooh, that's a choice. I hope that, like, maybe they tweak it before the book comes out because... And I, and I feel bad saying that. Like, I don't want to be like, I don't yeah. like your book description, but I love this book. I love it. 
And last night on Instagram, I encountered someone else who had just read it, and they were like, this is my favorite book of next year. And I was like, yes, yes, this Aww. book is so good. And then we started talking, and she's like, the description is so bad. I was like, yes, the description is so bad. <laughs> I mean, I'll take I don't like your book description over I don't like your book any day, because, like, one of those can be tweaked. <laughs> I, you know, I feel bad. Like, somebody worked on that, and maybe yeah. they did it before, like, the book was finished, and they wrote, I don't know. Yeah. And but I don't want it to keep people from reading this book because it's freaking mm. incredible. So anyway, that is it for us today. All kinds of great book talk today. Uh, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor Jen Zink. If you want to reach us and talk about Julio or veganism or <laughs> anything like that, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I am Friends and Comes Alive. We like to hang out on Instagram. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. Oh, oh, but if I forgot this part. If you would like to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts <laughs> and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And you can also read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.